Welcome to Fearless Marketing for Life Coaches. I'm Simone Soul, and I'm here to teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buying Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hey, everybody. So I just found out from my bookkeeper a piece of really interesting news, which is that in the past 12 months exactly, I have made a tiny bit over $825,000. That's almost a million dollars. I had no idea. I knew my yearly revenue to date, but I hadn't, I hadn't known that the past 12 months added up to over 800K. And really, like, I had to, like, readjust my concept of reality <laughs> to, to accommodate that fact, right? It was like, whoa. And so I decided that I'm going to round up and basically think of myself as a millionaire already. <laughs> And I actually am aiming for my overall revenue for 2020 to be a million. And so I'm going to hit that goal. So it's fun to feel in advance of actually hitting that million dollar mark. Like I'm almost there. Super fun. And I wanted to like every time I hit a new revenue goal or hit a new milestone in my business, I like to talk to you guys about it like right at the time so that whatever I'm thinking about on the, like at that exact time doesn't get lost because of my brain changes so fast and I'm growing so fast and how I think and just like overall my approaches to my business. So I want to capture like the history of it, right? So I did it when I did my first six-figure launch and I don't remember exactly what else, but you know, I I keep documenting these milestones. I think it'll be interesting for myself and for all of you to listen to. So I want to tell you a few fun facts about the past 12 months in which I made $825,000. I have invested well over $100,000 in coaching. I haven't added up the exact numbers. Actually, my bookkeeper could probably tell me, but well over that. Worth every penny, obviously. The return has been so much greater. Another fact is that for the past 12 months, I have gotten up at 3 a.m. every Thursday, every Thursday, excluding a few holidays here and there, right? Normal holidays to get coached by my coach because that was the only time I could get coached. And I got up at 3 a.m. Sometimes that meant that I actually like went to bed early and got up before three. And other times that meant I stayed up until three, four a.m. and then went to bed really late. Sometimes it made, it meant that my sleep was just like fucked <laughs> that whole day. And, um, it's an, another example of an investment that I made in my business, in my brain, so that I could create the results that I wanted. And I'm going to say it was not easy. I didn't love the experience of having to like disrupt my sleep schedule. And at the same time, I would absolutely do it all over again because it was so worth it. I just always think about trading comfort for growth. And I feel like it's been a privilege to be able to have had access to the coaching that I have had, because it has been such an amazing opportunity to really upgrade my brain in such a short time to go from somebody who 
makes, you know, at best a few thousand dollars a month to somebody who easily creates multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in a month. And another fact about my the past 12 months is that out of the $825,000, around $200,000, probably like a little bit over $200,000, is from one-on-one coaching clients that I signed and that I stopped signing, I think, somewhere around the February mark of 2020. So... I stopped signing, uh, I stopped taking one on one clients at that point, and I started enrolling people in my six months to fully booked mastermind program. And so the remaining revenue, which is about $625,000, is what I made from selling my mastermind this year. And of that money, I held on to about 60 65% of it. Again, my bookkeep has exact number, but what I held on to is what I have left over after, you know, subtracting expenses from my overall revenue. And expenses include um, paying myself and all the coaching, all the travel, all of the, you know, supplies and et cetera, like all the things, subscriptions for the services, uh, for like online services that I use, like Zoom and, you know, Acuity, et cetera, et cetera. So, take out all of that. And I held on to about 65% of that $825,000. Not too shabby. I like to think that I run a very lean business with a high profit margin. And I do that by not using ads and not hiring out a lot of things that other people hire out much earlier earlier on in the process because I have learned how to problem solve for different business challenges using my brain. And that's been really like a big secret to not just making a lot of money, but holding on to my money, like constraining my offers so that I'm not doing a million things at the same time. I'm very focused, I'm very constrained, and I don't spend a lot of money on different things except to really invest in the experiences of growth and experiences of coaching rather than hiring other people to solve my problems. So that's a few things that I wanted to tell you about what went into creating that much money. And I also took an opportunity to ask people on Instagram and in my Facebook group to ask me anything they wanted about the past 12 months and that I would answer them. And I got a few dozen really great questions and I wanted to answer them in depth on this podcast episode. So here we go. I will read the questions and I will answer them. So the first question that I got was, how often were you creating new thoughts versus going deeper in your belief about current ones? And I thought this was such an interesting question. Like how often was I creating new thoughts versus going deeper with existing thoughts? And when I really thought about it, the truth is that I don't spend a lot of time like quantitatively trying to create new thoughts. I definitely do spend time creating new thoughts and, you know, working new thoughts into my brain, but that's a very small minority of the time. And I would say like 98% of the time is not me intentionally working with new beliefs or even like trying to go deeper with existing beliefs. But when even when you just do nothing, you know how your brain is always just flooding you with thoughts, right? I'm just like sitting down at my desk and my brain is like, um, nobody likes you. <laughs> or 
I will just send a episode of this podcast to my producer and my brain will tell me, oh, that was the worst episode ever. Like nobody's going to like it. And so my brain is always presenting me with thoughts and beliefs, even when I'm doing nothing. And I feel like the bulk of my energy that goes into self-coaching is on questioning those thoughts every time they pop up in my brain. That keeps me busy all day, (laughs) y'all. It's about really like being aware of the thoughts as they are happening as thoughts. The way I like to put it is putting a question mark on them. Like, oh, okay, my brain is telling me that nobody likes me. All right, that's interesting. That is not the truth. It is a thought that I'm having and it feels bad because I believe my thoughts at the moment that they're happening and that's fine. (laughs) You know, like that's literally what my self-coaching looks like. Or sometimes I'll be anxious seemingly for no reason and and I'll ask myself, what am I anxious about? What's the thought creating the anxiety? And I'll be curious about it and I'll, I'll realize, oh, I'm having a thought like it's hard to... I don't know. It's hard to do this launch. And I'm believing that thought that it's hard to do a launch and therefore I'm experiencing the emotion of stress. Oh, of course I am. I'm believing this thought. And so I'm constantly like tracking what's happening in my brain and then noticing it as a thought, not as the truth. And like I said, that keeps me busy all day. And when I do that, I naturally seem to be able to let go of thoughts that aren't serving me so much easier, even when I'm not trying to actively get rid of them, because it's really, truly enough to be aware of it and just allow it with compassion without trying to change it, but also know that it's not the truth, right? Like I'm believing this thought, this negative thought, it's fine. Like I'm feeling bad about it, but it's not the reality. I'm just believing this thought. I don't have to change it right now. It's fine, right? That really is the bulk of my self-coaching. It's the bulk of my thought work. I don't very often sit down to write down new thoughts. I don't even, like I'm, I'm trained and certified by the life coach school. So I feel like I'll be excommunicated for admitting to this, but I very rarely sit down and do models. I rarely sit down and write out circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's a tool that graduates of the life coach school use a lot. And I I use the model constantly, but it's rare that I actually sit down and write one out, which is what is taught by the school, which I totally recommend is an amazing practice. You should all do it. I just don't do it. (laughs) And so I, that also, I'm kind of grouping together a lot of questions that I got about my own self-coaching practice and my own belief work. So I'm going to try to address all of it here is that I usually don't set aside time. Like I'm going to, it's going to be from 8.30 to 9.30 to do, to do models and to do thought work and to do belief work because it really does keep me busy to just notice the thoughts that are happening in my brain all day long and to hold them compassionately and with curiosity. I'm like talking to my husband and suddenly I feel annoyed. And then I ask myself, hey, I'm feeling annoyed. What thought is creating that emotion? And then I'll notice, oh, I'm having a thought that he shouldn't, I don't know, have ordered that thing that he ordered. Oh, if I'm believing that he shouldn't have done that, of course, then I would feel the emotion of annoyed. Oh, that's what my brain is doing. Cool. 
<laughs> right? Like I think I'm literally doing that all day long, just noticing my thoughts and just allowing it with like, with like curiosity. And uh, occasionally I do actually do structured thought work, whether I'm running models, I'm writing down models, or I'm collecting new beliefs to install into my brain. But when I do that, I do it very lightly. I, I don't take it super seriously in the sense that like if I write down a new list of thoughts I want to believe, I don't put the pressure on my brain to absorb all of them immediately. I just kind of assume that every time I write, write down new beliefs that I want in my brain, they'll just be absorbed into my brain somehow over time and I don't have to stress about it. <laughs> and guess what? That's like the laziest approach to thought work and it's worked every time. <laughs> It's like, I'm writing down these wonderful beliefs about myself that feel a little bit out of reach right now that I would like to believe, but I don't currently believe. And I'm just going to step away. (laughs) Not going to force myself to believe. I think that's one of the biggest differences I see between myself and a lot of other coaches who self-coach in that manner. And I think they put a lot of pressure on themselves and they make it mean that something has gone wrong if they don't believe all those things right away. And like, of course you don't. Like new beliefs take time to form. I think that the most useful thing you can do is to just kind of create the space in your brain for different thoughts, just kind of like whirl around together with each other and not take any of them super seriously, right? Like your thoughts are going to change a million times a day. And having cultivating an overall attitude of curiosity and allowing and being aware of your thoughts is the most productive thing you can do more so than trying to you know what a lot of people call self-coaching but it's really like forcing yourself to believe and uh, making you know making it mean that something has gone wrong because they can't get out of a thought that feels bad or a thought that feels self-defeating, a thought that creates anxiety. Like they think that they should be able to get out of it as fast as possible by doing thought work. Like that is not how I approach it at all. Compassionate, curious awareness and allowing. That really is the name of the game. And I got another set of questions that are very similar to each other, which were along the lines of, how did you invest your time? How did you manage your time? Got a lot of questions about time. And it's really interesting the kind of questions that people ask, which tell me where their brain is, like what they are thinking about what it takes to create success. The thing is, I didn't spend a ton of time planning my time. I've talked about this before in my podcast. Like, I'm very ADHD. I'm very spontaneous. I only very recently started to think intentionally about, you know, organizing my time systematically in any way. And so I'm very much, I have been very much a go with the flow kind of person up until now. And that sort of is my nature. And so I never thought of myself as like managing my time. Like that sounds kind of stressful. But I will say that if you were to ask my husband who lives with me and just sees me, you know, 24 seven, how I use my time, he'll probably say something like, she works a lot and then she rests a lot. There's a kind of, there's a dichotomy that I can't like put it better than that. Like there will be times when I am so, you know, like laser focused and I'm super concentrating and I will just work for hours because I'm on a roll. And 
there are times when I am just like passed out on the couch in the middle of the afternoon for like five hours. And actually, I have a, a lot of those days. <laughs> and I sort of intersperse spurts of working very in a very focused way with really chill, like, you know, just literally I'm like spread out on the couch watching Netflix for hours at a time during the week, right? And uh, over time, I've sort of instituted certain time boundaries for myself because I wanted a better quality of life and I didn't want work to overtake my life. So I decided at some point, okay, I'm not going to work evenings past, you know, five or six p.m. actually 5 p.m. and I used to do evening calls you know with clients and I was like nope not gonna do that anymore I either schedule them into my day or I don't do whatever that thing is and I think sometime in February I also decided to give myself three-day weekends because why not I'm my own boss I can do whatever I want so since then I've been very strict with giving myself Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays off and I haven't compromised with myself on that. So that feels really nice. I love 3-day weekends. But I actually think what's going on when people ask me how do you manage your time is okay, so y'all can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but my hunch is that number 1, they want assurance that they can create the kind of success that I did without working themselves down to the ground. I think they want confirmation that you don't have to be running around like a crazy person hustling all day, every day and working 20 million hours a day in order to create success. And number two, I think what's going on is that people are looking for like the right kind of time management plan to follow, so to speak, right? And they are looking at me being like, what is she doing? If I were doing what she was doing, maybe I'll be more successful. So let me address both of them. One, if you wanted confirmation that you can take lots of time for yourself. And I have mentioned on a previous podcast before that I cook meals from scratch for myself and my husband most days. I take two or three hour naps regularly, like during the week. And like I said, I have, you know, three day weekends. I have my evenings free. Like you can 100% have a very spacious life with lots of time to yourself personally and create a very successful business. It's not the quantity of time that you spend, it's the quality. And it's about creating that sort of quality of focus, right? In my mastermind, I teach a concept called 30 drama-free minutes, right? If you can work in a focused way without mind drama getting in the way for 30 minutes, I have to say that's more than most coaches, like the average coach gets done in like an entire week. Because we're always like doing stuff, but there's always like doing stuff with a ton of mind drama. So if you can focus it without mind drama, you can get so much done in half an hour. So I kind of think of myself as working in drama-free 30-minute shifts, drama-free one-hour-long shifts. Not really shifts, that's like a weird expression, but like, you know, increments, I should say, right? So if you're feeling pressed for time, it's not a question of not having enough time, but really you should think about how to make better use of the time that you do have. What steals your time is not, you know, having a bunch of things on your to-do list, but how you're using your brain within that time increment. And with regards to the second point where you're looking for like a better time management plan, or you think there's a right way or, you know, a, a better way to use time so that you can be more successful. You know, if you've been listening to me for a while, if you know me a little bit, you know that I'm kind of a time anarchist. 
<laughs> I'm not like proud of it necessarily, but I'm not not proud of it either. Okay? Like I have an ADHD brain. I don't do well with schedules. I know that's just a thought, but I whatever. I like my thought, okay? <laughs> And the point is not that my way is a, is a better way than other ways, but there seriously are not are no rules. Like if I take 10 entrepreneurs, they will all use their time in different ways, even if they have the same level of success. And the question that you really should be asking is not how does that person use their time, but how do I want to use my time in a way where I feel very like supported. I, there's time, there's room for my mental health and for me to enjoy time with my family and my friends. And I get really high quality work done in the focus time that I give myself, right? So you really have to find your own answer. There seriously is no one right way over other ways. And being more organized about it is not even necessarily better than being a little bit chaotic about it. You know, like I said, I my time is kind of chaotic and I'm very happy and I'm very successful. <laughs> so again, this is not a nudge to be more chaotic, but this is, I'm just saying like, you really can find your own balance. You really don't need permission or instructions from somebody else to do things in a way that in order to be more successful. So I want to leave you with that, right? Like you really want to use your brain to figure out the right balance for you. And I probably should do a podcast on this. I think I'm going to, but really like how you use your time 100% is determined by your thoughts about time and your thoughts about the things that go into, into your time. And so if you want to solve time, if you want to be better at time, I say start with your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Somebody asked me, when you see that number, $825,000, what's your response? Are you thinking, yep, that makes sense, or this can't be real, or question mark? So it's really funny because my relationship to the numbers of money or number of dollars that I you know, make changes all the time because I've been growing so fast. And if you had asked me as, as soon as three months ago what I would think if I had made $825,000 in 12 months, I would have said, that's crazy, no fucking way. And it would have just seemed totally outside of my self-concept. And guess what? I've done some work between now and then. And my thought about it now, when I look at the number, is like, oh yeah, I'm a millionaire, basically. I'm kind of growing more comfortably into that identity of being being a, a million-dollar revenue generator. Technically, it's not the exact same thing as being a, being a millionaire. But like I said, you know what? I like rounding up. <laughs> let's all just round up, okay? Because not to be like fraudulent, but that's, let's face it, we round ourselves down all the time. We always denigrate our own accomplishments. We always downplay our own accomplishments. We've been doing that all of our lives. Dismissing what we've created, downplaying our success, enough. Let's like compensate for all of that <laughs> that we've done all of our lives by rounding up. If you've made $70,000, I want you to think of yourself as a six-figure earner. You're basically almost there. <laughs> and I'm just going to basically think of myself as a millionaire. Millionaire, Almost there, right? Because like, why not? Somebody else asked me, how do you keep your energy and spark so high and magnetizing? Okay, here's the thing. 
I only do what's fun for me. And I do things my way, right? I think I've talked about before on this, on this podcast, like I decided to start a podcast and I had no idea that other people like hired producers and gotten professional equipment and whatever. I was like, oh, I have a phone where I can record my voice and Google told me how to create a podcast. Just follow these simple steps. Let me do that. <laughs> and let me just get on my soapbox and talk into my phone. Voila, here's a podcast. Like I make things very easy for myself. I have very low standards, <laughs> right? And for example, when I'm writing emails, I think to myself, they're just going to get a load of what's on my mind today. I don't try to perform all that much, right? Like I let myself get silly. I only do things in a way that feels fun and easy for me because I'm lazy (laughs) and I don't like following other people's rules and I like half-assing things. So my podcast was not professionally produced up until like a few episodes ago. I've been DIYing everything and, and people get to see all different sides of me, me being goofy, me being awkward, me being angry. Like people see all of it because I'm like, you know what? What's the point if I'm not going to show up as myself? Like I think that trying to fit a certain image, trying to come across as professional and polished and you know, trying to do things the right way is a lot of what saps your energy. That's what's like draining and not fun. And once you kind of get rid of a lot of those artificial standards, then you start to able to have a lot more fun with it. And that's, I think that's my secret to having very high energy, very high spark all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes I'm depressed or angry at the world, but mostly when I show up to serve, right? And the second secret to keeping my energy high is that I love my business. I love you. I'm just so in love with coaching. Like all of the things I do, it's like I like ache with so much love. And so I show up not because I'm obligated, not because I want to hit a number, not because I want to prove myself, because uh, but because because I love. It reminds me of showing up to dates with my boyfriend whom I is now my husband but every time like we would occasionally have these dates we live in Seoul and Seoul is a giant city with like the world's most complicated and Byzantine like subway lines and to get to meet him at a certain place in the city that has a cool theater or whatever I'd have to like get on the train like transfer like three times it would take me like an hour and a half to get there from where I was living and I remember those journeys being like super like exciting because I was so obsessed with my boyfriend and I was so excited to see him and I like butterflies in my stomach and the whole time I was like fantasizing about how wonderful it'll be to see him because I was so in love so the hour and a half trip to get to see him did not feel like a drag whereas if I imagine if I were taking that same trip to go to work at a job that I didn't enjoy it would just be like ugh, right so I feel like so much of that sparkle comes from how much I love doing what I get to do with the people that I love serving. That's you. And that really helps me to keep my energy high. And if you're wondering, I still feel that way about my husband. Same person. (laughs) I'm a lucky woman. All right. So here's another set of questions that I've gotten that are kind of similar. So I'm going to lump them all together. So people have asked, like, what's the biggest change you made? 
what was the big one big breakthrough you had to create this result versus before? And it's been interesting. I've been thinking about why I've gotten several questions along these lines. Like, what was the biggest change? What was the biggest breakthrough? And it speaks to an assumption that people have that what creates dramatic results is one big change or one big breakthrough or one big decision. And I completely understand that because that's also how I used to think, right? To achieve something extraordinary, there has to be one dramatic moment of transformation. And I'm sure that's true in some cases for some people, but for me, the truth was that there was no one big dramatic change. And somebody else asked me, you know, what was the biggest failure that you had to overcome? And that's sort of along the same lines. There was no one really big failure that I had to overcome either. All the changes were very small on a day-to-day level. And even all the failures were small. And they just happened on a day-to-day level. It was a million small micro-changes that I made over my days that really accumulated to produce this compounding effect of big results, right? So it really started with like small things like noticing when I was having a thought that made me want to like not create a post that day. It Noticing that thought that made me write an entire email and not hit send because my brain told me, oh, that's terrible. That's embarrassing. You should definitely just delete all of it, right? And and thinking like, hmm, I'm going to send it anyway, right? And just like feel the discomfort of that. Or the dramatic, it's a small kind of change where I would get coached and I would feel really triggered by the coaching that I got. And instead of just saying, oh, fuck it. And just like, you know, forgetting about it and moving on or resisting, I would get curious about, okay, you know what? This feels pretty uncomfortable and let me stay with it anyway to figure out what I can learn from it. Cause I might, you know, there might be something interesting here for me to grow through. Right. And it's, it just like so many times a day, every day, there were these small moments where I could choose courage, where I could choose showing up where I could choose love instead of resistance, where I could lean in instead of avoid. And all of those small things really, really built up. I really cannot look for a big change. I can look for some medium changes and, you know, there were some, <laughs> some things like that here and there, but it, the most meaningful are the micro changes. And I want you to think about that. What if literally the biggest determinant of your success is like, how you make like the tiniest decisions about how to show up, whether to show up, whether to be brave, like today when it looks like nothing dramatic is happening, right? All about what I call the micro changes. All right, here's another fun question. When did you know or how did you know it was time to invest in the next thing? Like how did you know it was time to invest with the next coach? So here's how I make my investing decisions is that, I, when I find a coach that feels like a fuck yes, I just sign with them no matter what. I don't have price drama or I might have price drama, but then I coach myself. I don't like ask too many questions. I don't ask them to send me like details about their program. I'm just a yes. I'm just a hell yes. And then I renew with them again and again. 
And it actually isn't even that much about the results I want. There are just coaches that I began to follow and I'm like, this is cool. Like, I want what they're having. Like, I want this. Yes. And I look for that like zing in my body of like, ooh, this is my person. And then I just go sign with them. And and that's how I know when I want to invest is that when I feel that, ooh, that's fun, that zing, right? And I don't do like analyses. I don't do comparison shopping. Like, I just look for my hell yes feeling. And that's actually how I have made so many of my other business decisions. And I got to say, it has served me well. Here's another question. What would you tell Simone of the past when she was just starting out with her business? My answer, I would tell her, just chill the fuck out. Really? That is the answer to everything. Chill out. (laughs) Just chill out. (laughs) That would have saved me so much time. If I just chilled a little bit, just a little bit, (laughs) I'm very high strung. (laughs) It's just who I am. I'm still learning how to chill. All right. Somebody else asked, how did you decide it was time to do a mastermind? I decided to transition from one-on-one coaching to doing masterminds when the demand for my one-on-one coaching was so much that there were multiple people on my wait list and I could have just kept like increasing my price or I could do a group program and fill it. And at that point, I realized that I had a very profound and original and well-organized subject matter expertise. And it was honed and tested and proven over and over through my work with dozens of private clients. And when I realized like, oh, like I have this subject matter expertise, like I can answer any question on this subject, which is marketing for life coaches, right? And that afforded me powerful certainty that I could take a group of people through a journey to get them to a guaranteed result. Like I had, oh, like, oh yeah, totally certain. I know this whole field inside and out. I know this journey inside and out. And I know how to hold space in what, with whatever situation a client could bring me, a group of clients, I can handle it. I can guarantee this result. That's when I knew it was time to do a mastermind. And it was one of the best decisions I decisions I made. Even though I really miss one-on-one coaching because I love it, my masterminds are, they are just pure magic. Like we have so much fun and people all like become best friends and we all get crazy impressive results And it is just the best. Also, obviously, it was a good call. (laughs) Another question is that, was this a financial goal that you set out to hit or did you keep your focus on the impact? Okay, so I also got a few questions along these lines of like, did you focus on trying to hit this financial goal? And for me, the answer is really no. My relationship to financial goals has been very kind of tangential, right? Because money... Like I love money and I love making more money and I love the challenge of making more more money and everything, but it's not something that viscerally motivates me on a day-to-day level. What really like gets my ass like, you know, going and what really viscerally motivates me like in my heart so I get moving and do brave things is my love of serving and my desire to make a difference in my clients' lives and my desire to help them get results and my desire to 
like create amazing transformations and my my love for the future that's possible for my clients like that really gets me out of bed every morning and i focused on that the entire time as my fuel so you know i don't ever want to say that i don't care about the money or that i'm not excited by you know creating more money i totally am but that wasn't the day-to-day fuel that i relied on it's kind of like i really focused on the love and the serving and then I looked up once in a while to see that I had made a lot of money. I think that's really the best way. I don't know. I really enjoyed growing in this in this manner. Okay. And somebody else asked, what was the first time you realized you were rich? And what was the first crazy splurge you made after this realization? All right. So first time it really sank in with me that I was rich was when I went to the grocery store to shop for groceries I found myself like I was looking for eggs and I just instinctively reached for like the cheaper eggs. And then I had this conversation with myself where I was like, hold on a second. We can buy the most expensive, organic, free range, hormone free, like whatever, humanely raised fancy eggs. (laughs) We can buy 10 dozen fancy eggs. (laughs) And I was so excited at that moment because I realized, oh, I can actually afford this. I can afford the fancy eggs. And oh my God, I'm somebody who has money. What? (laughs) Right? So that was super fun. That was like when I first realized like, I, oh my God, I have so much money. And of course, like I've bought fancier things than eggs since, you know, I splurged on a, a few really nice, you know, luxury brand name bags as birthday gifts for uh, some, you know, members of my family not for myself because that's not really my thing. My thing, however, is getting to stay at five-star hotels. (laughs) One of my favorite things. And I treated myself to that a few times with my husband and I. It's been amazing. And it's also really fun treating myself to business class flights because I've been flying across like in the Pacific Ocean from Asia to the US and to Europe and back and forth, which is like 10 plus hour flights so many times my whole life. And I have to say, getting out of economy (laughs) and flying business for like a 14-hour flight was a life changer. (laughs) It was all worth it for that flight. It was so fun. And I have to say, my other fun splurges, so to speak, was getting to donate money to really worthy causes. I donated to the Loveland Foundation, which which connects black girls and women to therapy by black therapists. And I think I donated, was it $11,000? Something like that a few months ago after one of my launches. And after my most recent launch, which was like literally a couple of weeks ago or just a few weeks ago, I just donated another $11,500 to rebuild, to help rebuild and to provide medical support for for Beirut in Lebanon after the crazy explosions that took place that took so many lives and had tremendous economic impact, negative economic impact. And being able to donate lots of money to the causes I care about was something that I have always dreamt of doing. And that's truly one of the things, honestly, like I'm never going to say that I don't really incredibly enjoy five-star hotels and business class flights and or fancy eggs. Like I love all of that, like so much, but really when it comes down to it, what 
what gives me like lasting, profound, sustainable meaning and joy is knowing that I'm able to contribute to the world, making the world a better place in the way that in greater and greater capacities. That's like the the ultimate for me. And then there were some questions about the exact breakdown of like what my services cost costed. Is that a word? What they cost and how many of them I sold, et cetera. So I think people are curious about this. And I like when people are transparent about this kind of thing. So I'll share too, even though it's not that important. So the last 12 months, that's starting August of 2019, I was selling six-month packages of one-on-one coaching for $6,000. And I had a full calendar with clients who bought at that price and that that time length. And then later in the year of last year, I raised my price to $10,000 for the same six months. And I had a full calendar of clients at that price as well. And then in February, I transitioned to teaching my mastermind. And I sold the first round of mastermind seats for 5000 per person. And then the following two rounds for 10000 per person. And so that's sort of like the breakdown of what I sold and what what each thing costs. And all of my masterminds are six months long. So... So that was what was up. Also got a cluster of questions like, what were your top thoughts about your business that kept you creative and productive? And really, you guys, like this entire podcast, like every episode (laughs) is a documentation of the thoughts that I have that keep me showing up at my level. So if you want my secrets, like all my secret thoughts, like it's not a secret, it's all on this podcast. So just listen to all the podcast episodes and you will know all the thoughts that took me to where I am today. Another important question was, what was the biggest thing that really enabled you to set goals and hit them? And here's my answer. And I want everybody to really listen to this. The thing that truly enabled me to hit every goal I set, including the super ambitious ones, is truly learning in my bones that my thoughts create my results. Now, this is something that most coaches know theoretically and how deeply you know this in your body is going to be the what distinguishes people who create amazing results you know and and set and actually meet their goals and coaches who don't you know coaches who have trouble meeting their goals what i see consistently is that they try to solve business problems outside of their thoughts they try to solve it with their actions they try to solve it by changing the circumstances change my niche change my positioning change my offer change my copy they are thinking about solving problems in tangible ways instead of looking into their brain and taking responsibility for how their thoughts are creating their current results and how their current thoughts are going to create the results that will be inevitable in the future because of the way thoughts create results. Learning that at a deeper and deeper level each time is what enabled me to get more and more results each time. So I seriously encourage you, the best use of your time is time spent becoming aware of what thoughts are creating your current results without judgment and without trying to change it as fast as possible. There's this quality of spacious, compassionate, curious allowing, right? That is going to really 
change the level at which you understand how you are creating your reality. And from that space, you're going to actually be able to engineer a different set of results. So that really is the thing. Ask yourself every day, to what extent do I believe that my thoughts are creating my results? And if you don't really believe it, then you're likely, I'm sorry to say, you're likely wasting a lot of time problem solving in ways that don't actually create different results, but still have you running around being busy all the time. So really important, that one. All right. Last question is, I'm so curious about all the new problems that you're dealing with. Do you have any new mind drama? So I don't really have new problems per se. Like it's not really a problem, but something that I think about is, you know, I've made a lot of money and I told you just a little bit about like some of my favorite splurges. But the fact of the matter is most of the time, if I'm not traveling, I live a very simple life. Like, yes, I like to buy fancy eggs because <laughs> I like buying organic, healthy things, whatever. But, you know, I don't have a lot of expenses. I don't have, I don't like to buy a lot of things. Like I like to keep things very simple. I'm a minimalist. And so I know that I'm, I'm going to hit, you know, multiple millions in revenue in the coming years. And so in my mind, it's already like, I have all the money I need for anything that I could ever want, like with my family, right? Like we are provided for, I don't need more money so that I can do things like anything I want to do right now. I have the money for, right? Okay. Not everything. Like I can't buy like, like the fanciest, you know, house in Seoul. Cause that costs like $15 million and I don't have that, but also I don't really need that, right? Like, so anything that I actually want and have use for, I can buy now. And so when having more money and chasing after more money, like stops being meaningful because I can do what I want with the money I have now, I just spend a lot of time nowadays thinking about, okay, what else motivates me if it's not like more money? right? And money was never the primary driver, like I already talked about, but it was something really fun to try to chase. It was really fun after a lifetime of, you know, thinking of myself as poor and having limited options, like suddenly just being a six-figure earner and then being a multiple six-figure earner and then being almost a million-dollar earner. Like it was like intoxicating. That was super interesting. And now the, the idea, the project of creating more money, it's not as interesting as it was before, so then what does my work uh, get to be about, right? Like what, do, what is, becomes a source of my creativity and my continued growth and expansion? And that's a question that I'm really exploring right now. And I'm sure I'll have more to share about that in the future. And to answer the second part of this question about whether I have new mind drama, here's the thing. I don't really. <laughs> All the mind drama is the same as before, and they're all basic as fuck. Like my brain still tells me that nobody likes me. It's my brain's like favorite go-to that you're embarrassing, you're dumb, nobody likes you. Actually, my brain doesn't say you're dumb. My, my brain just says like you're weird and you're awkward, right? That's like leftover stuff from my childhood that still is like ringing in my brain. <laughs> like it's fine, but it's old, right? And every time I set a new goal, whether it's like, I don't know, create a new program, do another launch, do this, do that. My brain says, oh, you can't. It's too hard. It'll be impossible. Who do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. In other words, probably all the same shit you're dealing with now. Human mind drama will always be human mind drama. And 
it's just it just becomes more boring over time. So I wouldn't really say that I have new mind drama. It's just the same old shit. <laughs> and I have new interesting problems to solve, like how to get my work into the hands of more people, right? In the earlier stages of business, it's a lot about like trying to prove that I can do it, right? Trying to get to get myself to believe in myself and get other people to believe in me. And now that's not so much the work anymore. It's more like, how do I help even more people even more powerfully? And so it feels much more like a creative project, right? So that's fun. I There have been a lot more questions, but these are the questions that I really wanted to answer because I thought, thought they were more interesting. And it's been really fun getting here. And this podcast, having been a part of my journey, also has been like super magical. And I'm so appreciative of all of you who have accompanied me <laughs> on my journey all the way to almost a million. And I'm sure I'll be celebrating when I actually hit exactly 1 million in a year as well. All right, my friends, I'll see you on social media, Facebook, Instagram, holler at me, love talking to you. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time. Just go.